And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Now that Sir Jim Ratcliffe's investment in Manchester United has finally been confirmed, how will this impact the club's January window? Even if players are sold, is spending even possible given FFP concerns? And is Jadon Sancho set to follow Donny van der Beek out of the door at Old Trafford? I'm Michael Bailey. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Happy New Year. Alongside me for this one are Adam Crafton, Man United writer Laurie Whitwell, and our football correspondent, David Ornstein. Great to see you all. Uh, Laurie, I'm going to come to you first, if I may. Uh, People might see the Ineos investment as meaning cash for the transfer kitty, but it's not quite as simple as that for United, is it? Uh, No, I mean, they are still awaiting Premier League ratification, which we're told can take six to eight weeks. Um, And even in that instance, if they could put their own money in, um, it wouldn't necessarily adjust United's sort of wriggle room on the financial fair play, the profit and sustainability rules that they are very tight on, which they keep talking about as being big factors on what they can do in the January transfer window. Um, But yeah, I mean, Ineos have committed, it's in writing, but the SEC filing to New York Stock Exchange to putting in $300 million. First $200 million of that will be done when the transaction is officially completed via the Premier League and then the, the final $100 million by the end of the year. And, and originally that is actually intended to go on the infrastructure, so Old Trafford. I mean, how much that will stretch to actually cover the kind of work that is needed at the stadium, I don't know. But it can also, according to the documents, be used for sort of regular business actions, which you know you'd assume would be transfer dealings. And I guess the other question they're leading off that is, is the influence. It's the influence of Sir Jim Ratcliffe and and Dave Brailsford. How much will they have of that until the deal is ratified? There's a danger, I guess. It could be a bit of a limbo period. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic at the moment because, uh, as I've said, they're waiting for this Premier League ratification. And until that moment, then, you know, the Ineos deal isn't official. So, you know, Sir Dave Brailsford and, and Sir Jim Ratcliffe they haven't got their keys to the to the door, I suppose, at, at the exact moment. But they are nevertheless on the ground. You know, Steve Brailsford was there at Carrington on New Year's Eve, the day after the Nottingham Forest defeats. So Jim Ratcliffe has been at Carrington and Old Trafford and will continue to be uh, for meetings and, and kind of, I guess, getting to know you. I think that's the kind of stage they're at. It's a, described as a kind of a looking and listening and, and learning uh, phase of, of um, the investment. Um, they're not going to come in from what we're understanding and change things straight away. They want to sort of observe how things are done. And, and actually, they, they can't. They're not, you know allowed as such to do so straight away because they do have to wait for this ratification obviously in the documents it says that they have to be consulted on all uh, transfer plans from now on and, and they were actually informed in writing of what those plans would be into the January transfer window so all of these kind of stories that we're going to talk about the Jane Sancho thing um, that's already been sort of set out in the transfer plans to Ineos but as it stands you know they they aren't from what we're told going to come in and, and make big decisions straight away. It's interesting, David, because I guess that would suggest that United's January transfer window will kind of look how it would have looked anyway, regardless of the ongoing switch with Ineos. 
Yeah, and it kind of has to, Michael, because INEOS haven't been ratified yet. And so they can have influence over proceedings, but they don't have power of execution. That was always expected to be the case in this six to eight week process post the agreement being signed um, under the owners and directors test sort of restrictions. Maybe it will be a bit shorter. There have been some suggestions of, of four to six weeks. Let's see. And so the word at United was always business as usual, and they're having to work within the financial fair play PSR parameters, which was gearing them towards possibly one or two loans, very little room to maneuver. And maybe that even suits Ineos, Sir Dave Brailsford and Sir Jim Radcliffe as they focus on getting in fully, which looks like it will be slightly post-window, and then target the summer as a real recruitment focus of their attention. That might displease some United fans who want them to do a load of business in in this winter market, but it doesn't seem to be realistic unless they can shift some bodies out in the form of Sancho, which we'll come on to speak about, a Martial, a Varane, for example. Um, And that may give them a little bit more room to manoeuvre. And I suspect United's current football setup and recruitment department would have some ideas in place. They've definitely been having conversations behind the scenes as to what they might be able to do if that happens. And that should have been laid out in the plan we now know was relayed to INEOS. But I think the summer is the the big sort of start really from a, a transfery perspective. And if INEOS are going to bring somebody in as, say, a director of football and a head of recruitment to positions that have been reported for weeks now, then it might take some time to get these people in. And therefore, it would be much better for them to start in the summer anyway and not make decisions now um, with people who might not be in place further down the line. So I think a bit of patience is going to be required around the transfer market. They probably won't have any choice but make some decisions during the January transfer window, of course. And that probably does make it a good point to talk about Jaden Sancho. At the time of recording, Borussia Dortmund are in talks to take him back on loan, which may have come as a bit of a surprise to, to a few people. David, you broke the story. Where are we at with it and what do you expect? Yeah, the reports started emerging from Germany and we managed to um, corroborate them and and put a story out uh, yesterday. Obviously, there's background to this because he played and did so well at Borussia Dortmund before signing for Man United for £73 million in 2021. There was some sort of dialogue last summer after the kind of flare-up with Eric Ten Hag, maybe even before, I'm not sure, Laurie probably knows better. But at that point, the messages that I was getting from around Borussia Dortmund in particular was that it it's not something that really interests them going back down that road financially and also footballing. But weeks have passed since and it seems that some form of discussion has always been maintained uh, to the point now where there are negotiations between the clubs and it appears to be moving relatively rapidly uh, around a loan deal until the end of the season. I think it would be in everybody's best interests, in their minds, to get this sorted. There will be some manoeuvring around the numbers. They'll need to get it right on the loan fee and the salary coverage. Um, But it wouldn't surprise us in the coming hours or days that we see some kind of resolution to this. Let's uh, take a moment, shall we, and hear from the Athletics German football writer Raphael Honigstein on why the Sancho deal makes sense for all parties. Dortmund only two weeks ago said there's absolutely no chance that Sancho's coming back, or words to that effect when I spoke to 
couple of people there. So it is a fairly recent development. I think it reflects the very poor end of the calendar year where they went without winning six games. Off the pitch, they brought in two new assistant coaches, former players in Shine and Bender. And on the pitch, I think the idea is to bring in somebody who's more happy in possession in a wide area because the players that Dortmund have are very direct. Marlon, Bino Gittens and Adeyemi, and they haven't really performed all that well. So I think the need has arisen, but also the opportunity because I think it's become clear that United were so desperate to get Sancho out of the club and back onto the pitch that they made huge financial concessions. And for Dortmund, it's a low-risk situation. It's a loan deal. So they got nothing to lose. If it works out, it's great. Uh, for United, I think the upside is very clear. If the player recovers his form, he's suddenly valuable again. He's becoming an asset again. And then whoever is in charge at the time, whether it's Ten Hag or maybe somebody new under the reign of Ineos, they can either benefit from his return or from his rise in value and cash him in. So there's very little downside, I think, to any of these parties for making this happen. Adam, whether or not terms can be agreed, the Sancho signing just hasn't worked, has it? Look, I, th- I think people will have their own views on it, right? Some people will blame Jaden Sancho. Other people will look at Manchester United over the past decade and see a club where very, very few players have, have thrived, no matter how much has been spent on them, whether it's on transfer fees or wages. You can talk about far more established players even than Jaden Sancho, who have really struggled when they've gone there. You know, you can go back to... Alexis Sanchez, Angel Di Maria, Radamel Falcao. Like, I mean, the list is just endless over a really long period of time. I think with Sancho, there's been this increasingly bizarre standoff, right, between the manager and the player since the start of the season. You know, started in a press conference, carried on on Twitter, carried on in more press conferences, and then he's just kind of disappeared from the first team and therefore United have had a a major asset that they've spent huge money on and continue to have a huge liability on in terms of wages that they owe, just sat there. Their position has been to back their manager, you know, which feels like an increasingly fraught position given the results that United have had, given the amount of goals that United score, given the difficulties that United have had with players like Anthony and Rashford this season. But it isn't a situation that looks like it's going to be resolved between Ten Hag and Sancho. And at the moment, it looks like the only chance you will see of Jadon Sancho playing for Manchester United again is if the manager changes. And David, given how in demand Jadon has been in the past, will Dortmund get a free run at this or could someone else come in for him and and fancy seeing if they can enjoy Sancho's abilities for for at least six months? It's remarkable how times change because at one point he was arguably the hottest property in world football, certainly in that attacking department and he was gettable from Borussia Dortmund and that's why a number of clubs had been looking at him but actually when the transfer happened which was a year after uh, Manchester United initially tried to make it happen they did appear to have a clear run at it which has led some people to suggest that United overpaid as they have for a number of other players but there is no doubt the regard in which he was held and he was in the England setup at the time Right now, in the circumstances, I'm sure there would have been an element of interest from clubs in the Premier League who perhaps fancied the chance of trying to reinvigorate him and bring him back to a level that 
is there, surely. And, and abroad, of course, there, there would have no doubt been some other options as the window went on. And many people would have put this down to Eric Ten Hag and the environment and backed themselves uh, to make a success of him. But as it's come to it uh, at this point in time, they feel like the only sort of credible option in terms of the desire of all parties, in- including Sancho himself. The news, the timing of it maybe came as a bit of a surprise to me because in the sort of days and weeks leading up to it, I wasn't hearing of any major movement because of the size of the salary and what's gone before. And you're signing a player for the final six months of the season who hasn't been playing for several months leading into this period and is not up to sort of match speed and fitness. And if and when this deal goes through, it will be interesting to see what condition Sancho is in. He's been training alone at Manchester United with, I think, an academy coach using academy facilities, being bought lunch in boxes from the main building. It's not ideal. It's actually quite remarkable that that this has been taking place for a player and a club at this level. And so, yeah, uh, it will be a, a really good test of, of whether he... Um, can re-find the heights that that he's hit before. And then Manchester United will potentially have a decision on their hands. Do they reintegrate him in the summer? Do they look to loan him out again? Do they look to sell him? Um, Lots of unanswered questions. And it's a really fascinating situation. Yeah, just picking up on one point that David made there, actually, in that there were some suggestions that United might even cancel uh, Sancho's contract because it got so bad with him, you know, training alone and, and, you know, calling in sick occasionally and not necessarily having any kind of resolution or future at United, it seemed. But United were never going to cancel his contract because the implications for the financial regulations, it, it takes a big hit to kind of, you know, obviously pay a player off. That's a, a lump sum, so to speak. And then also you lose their transfer value that you can put in the accounts through uh, amortisation. So the idea with this loan is that Sancho can go away, reinvigorate himself, show to people that he is worth the kind of money that United paid originally for him. I don't know if United would ever get that kind of fee again if they were to sell him in the summer. Uh, But the idea is at least that he can have some value back. And listen, if the situation changes in the summer, then maybe he does come back to United ultimately. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We've already discussed Jim Ratcliffe's intentions in terms of the money he's going to invest, but as we've also kind of already suggested, there are going to be surely some significant structural and personnel changes. Adam, where, where do you see how United are at the moment? Um, where they may focus their attentions on in terms of personnel and structure? Um, it's, it's a kind of like, where do you start point of view? I mean, at the moment, they don't have they don't have a full-time chief executive. They don't have a head of recruitment, as far as I can see. They have a football director, but not a sporting director. Is that the same job? We're not quite sure. Is someone going to come in above John Murta, who's the football director, or is someone 
going to go alongside him or is he just going to leave? I think all of these questions feel quite open uh, at this moment in time. They have a lot of scouts. How much they listen to all of those scouts, we aren't quite sure. They have a head coach who, if you're being kind to, to Eric Ten Hag, he has kind of had to operate over the last few months in particular without a CEO, without a head of recruitment, without a sporting director. And, you know, he was a tracksuit coach at Ajax and everything else was done for him by people like Edwin van der Sar, who was CEO and Mark Overmars, obviously, who was the sporting director and did a lot of the recruitment side of it. And yeah, it's for sure, it's true that, you know, his judgment on signings, I think, has been pretty poor. You know, you'd have to say over the past two years. But, you know, a club that has a proper structure in place wouldn't be allowing him to make those decisions in the first place. It would be, you know, offering so many targets that he wouldn't have to be, you know, reverting to either players he knows or people who are perhaps, you know, who have been represented by the the agent that he works with, that he's leaned on as well uh, for advice at times. So I think the priority for United is to fill those really key positions, you know, CEO, sporting director, head of recruitment. And then maybe, then you look at the head coach. And it might that might be what gives Ten Hag a bit more time because it certainly won't be based on performances or results, both of which have been pretty shocking all season long. But it might be that kind of structural mess really above him that buys him that little bit more time. And, you know, he will also, you know, something he's really started to hammer home over the last few weeks is we're going to get a lot of players back from injury in the next few weeks or so. Man United only have one Premier League game now in January. They've got Tottenham at home. And apart from that, they don't play until February, apart from the FA Cup. So they will be think Eric Ten Hag will be hoping that he's allowed that time to get players back like Casemiro and Lissandro Martinez and Rasmus Hoyland, who obviously missed the Forest game. And he'll start to have a team that looks like his own. And there won't really be a hiding place after that because United are out of Europe now. Uh, they're not in the Carabao Cup. They've got a lot of time on the training pitch. So if the players still aren't responding when Ten Hag has all that time with them, then you know I think it'll be very, very difficult for him to keep his job. But but I think for now, that those are the factors that buy him a little bit of time. There's another part of this that says that Ten Hag has a decision to make. In the summer, I think he'll have a year to go on his contract, plus an option for United to extend. And if things are stable at that point and he remains in position then presumably these coming weeks and months will be used for him to do a bit of due diligence as well does he want to continue are the parameters going to be right for him there have been some reports in the last 24 hours or so suggesting that he wants to keep this veto he has over transfers that has been the case since he came into the club under the regime of John Murtra as football director Darren Fletcher technical director more recently Matt Hargreaves as transfer negotiator Andy O'Boyle as deputy football director but it will obviously be a new setup and and will so Dave Brailsford, Jim Radcliffe and others who may come into the club uh, be willing to give him that sort of uh, power or will it change? And if it changes, will he be happy with that? So, yeah, of course, there's more power in the hands of, of the new ownership set up at Manchester United. But if Ten Hag picks up a bit of a head of steam, then will he have a decision to make as well? It's really fascinating, this whole landscape, because there's so many different motivations and, and kind of, I don't know, influences behind what's been going on on the pitch. And I think one thing that Adam touched on, all the uncertainty above, 
I do think has an impact on the players themselves in terms of what their sort of thinking is in terms of, you know, Eric Tenag listening to his instructions and carrying them through to the fullest. And also the people above him, if they're thinking about their own job security, are they really going to be channeling all their energy into making the environment the best possible one for Eric Ten Hag and the players and, and looking at all these different players that might be out there? Um, I just think it's a natural situation where, you know, your you, you kind of energy is diverted a little bit. Um, and, and clearly, Eric Ten Hag has had a big say on transfers, but that's not to say that he has then also signed the checks off. You know, Anthony for... Uh, 100 million euro ultimately um is the, is probably the big one where he's he's clearly you know pushed for that kind of signing but it came at the end of a window after united lost two matches and, and kind of he he wanted a center forward from the from the very beginning and, and that never came and so anthony was kind of the attacker that was the one that was most viable to get so how much responsibility did you give him for the price tag and how much responsibility did you give the structure for actually not being able to as adam says provide real viable alternatives that can actually boost what a manager's looking for. I think it is a really interesting dynamic. And, and that's what you expect today, Brailsford and Sir Jim Ratcliffe to investigate and ask questions about. You know, you speak to the kind of people that they've associated with before and, and they say that Brailsford in particular is, you know, drills down into the minutiae of, of, of uh, structures and tries to find out why people do certain things. And, and, and that's the expectation that he will, will do that at Manchester United. I do think that it is an interesting structure that has been created. Um, John Murta being the football director, uh, we've written a piece recently about how he came to power and the uh, the issues, the turbulence that he's had along the way and, and, and then the current structure as well. I mean, Adam touched on a head of recruitment. That's kind of like a standard job for all clubs in the Premier League, but United have a director of scouting instead, which is kind of, it's, it's evolved throughout the last few years of it being the case where you've, you've wondered I, I thought Steve Brown, for example, it was the head of recruitment. It turns out that he's director of scouting. So all, all he his job is primarily to organise the scouts. It's a big job, as Adam said. There's, there's a lot of scouts, 140 uh, full-time and part-time at the last count, although they are trimming that number. But he doesn't make decisions on players, which is kind of like you want a head of recruitment to have that authority to say, this is, this, I know what I'm talking about here. This is a player that will do a job for Manchester United if we want to win titles. That hasn't been the case at United. So in that sort of area Ten Hag has then pushed himself and gone well I think I might know and you know obviously he's got a couple right I'd say Martinez was a success last season he's been injured this season but others you know he hasn't so that's kind of what's going to happen you know you can't have a Sir Alex Ferguson situation where he was basically the sporting director and manager in the same um, situation Ole Gunnar Solskjaer also did have a veto of transfers but I think Ten Hag's got much more authority than Solskjaer had in terms of exercising that but that being said he, he still for me he hasn't had the support of a real elite recruitment scouting department that I would say perhaps Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola have had at Liverpool and Man City. Just what you've just said there, Loif, 140 scouts across full-time and part-time. And who was the last player Manchester United signed that looks like a find by the scouts? Because so many of them have looked like... Ahmad, potentially. Ahmad, yeah, okay. Garnacho, perhaps, at the youth scouting level. But... Yeah, Alejandro Garnacho, yeah. But... In terms of first-team players, I mean, the club just hasn't worked like that. So why have they had 140 scouts on the payroll? Like, I mean, sh- these guys have been wasting their time, haven't they? Some of them probably think that way because you know you hear a lot of stories of recommendations being made, passed into the system, and it doesn't really go anywhere. You know, it basically waits for you know a, the, the situation to be pressurised enough for United to have to make a signing or a manager to push for a signing so that stuff 
happened. I can't point to a signing aside from the ones that you said there, where the kind of academy. I mean, Alejandro Garnacho, two hundred and fifty grand. It was at the end of his contract at Atletico Madrid. It was, you know, it turns out to be an inspired signing because his value now is is much bigger. But it's not one where you're thinking, you know, a surer thing, you know, like like a Julian Alvarez at, at, at River Plate to Man City in that January transfer window where Ralph Ranjit was in charge and United declined to make any signings because they had an interim and, and they didn't want to, you know, foist a player on a, a manager that was coming in. Well, I don't know, I, would, would Ten Hag have said no to Julian Alvarez, you know, as his, as his first signing as Manchester United manager? I, I, I don't know, I think that's where you need, as you've touched on, a, a real strong sporting director to have a clear idea as to what would work and have that confidence to execute that rather than the situation that United have got at the moment. And yeah, I mean, the scouts, they have reshuffled them. I think we might do something on this uh, in, in the coming days and weeks. Um, they, they, I think they have realised that they have a system there that isn't providing clear uh, thought processing and, and, and they need to be able to trust people. They need to know um, that, these, that, that certain people have got a track record of actually yeah, they're not going to get everything right, but it feels like there's, there's, it doesn't really go anywhere. All this kind of data and information, it kind of is just in, in, in this system and it needs a, a, you know, a real spark, a real sort of leader to, to harness it. Yeah, it feels like we're getting onto a key part of the conversation here because Sir Dave Brailsford has a, a really good track record in sports, high performance, cycling, dabble into football with Nice, Lausanne, maybe even the America's Cup sailing, but Ineos haven't operated at this level as a group. And therefore, I think Jean-Claude Blanc, who is going to be taking one of the seats on the football board, uh, would be critical because he has experience in helping run Juventus and Paris Saint-Germain and has a really interesting backstory that the guys have written about on The Athletic. There's a good piece I'd recommend you go and read. Uh, He's very highly rated people I've spoken to in the industry who know him and have seen him operate in what is often a a bit of a catty industry, pretty much universally speak highly of him and the way in which he operates and think this is a, a coup for Manchester United. But then the sporting director or director of football, if there is to be a new one. And it seems by the day reports are are growing around the possibility of Dan Ashworth coming over from Newcastle. I don't know of any sort of contact or movement or negotiations at this point, but certainly uh, he's somebody that is known well personally by Sir Dave Brailsford and uh, is said to be admired by Ineos and possibly their first choice. I'm sure other names will be in the frame as well. And there is a notion that as well as a sporting director appointment, they would like to bring in a head of recruitment, who again, you would assume would be of real high repute and experience to fill the gaps where Ineos maybe lack um, for no fault of their own, but also to make United this sort of industry leading operator or competitive building towards the levels that, as Laurie mentions, Liverpool, Manchester City and others are already at. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Well, let's have a quick little bit of fun then, because it does sound like United haven't got much money to play with come January. Um, And maybe there'll be some business they want to do. Maybe there are some targets. We know Sergio Regulon's loan spell from Spurs has already been cut short as well. So they're clearly getting to business in that way. Donny van der Beek has also joined Eintracht Frankfurt on loan for the rest of the season. And there's an option to buy. So, Laurie, do you, where, where do they need to target and um, what should they do? Give us, give us some, some good old fashioned names. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I always enjoy just plucking a few names out. And to be fair, sometimes in January, that's what it feels like United do. I mean, last uh, year, who could have predicted Wout Bregost, uh, which again was something that kind of came about through chance a little bit. You know, uh, they thought they were going to have a little bit of money to spend uh, and uh, Cody Gakpo was the, the choice. And then actually they didn't. And, and Wout Bregost was available at that particular stage. So and Tenag, you know, he, he knew him and, and he made that call. So, yeah. I guess always keep your eyes peeled on what United could do. And I think, again, it's a striker that if they could do something, they would. I mean, David's touched on one low, maybe two. That, that's kind of the, the consistent theme that we're hearing from United. And I, I do, sometimes they, they say this and then they go and do something crazy, but I do kind of believe them on this one. So, I mean, there's uh, a few names that they've, they've, I suppose, looked at. It's weird to sort of say they've scouted because you don't really need to scout a player like Thomas Muller. You know, you just know what you're going to get. But they're, they're looking at players, I think, that are established, that they could bring in on a short-term basis that would be open to coming to Old Trafford, but also that they know roughly what they're going to get from them. You know, and so to that theme also, Eric Maxim, Chupamoting, the other Bayern Munich forward that's kind of been displaced by Harry Kane, the striker that Ten Hag really kind of wanted as his number one choice last summer. It's kind of funny how... The dominoes fall, I suppose. Timo Werner is someone that they've checked on at RB Leipzig. So they're not names that would necessarily thrill United fans and, you know, quite the opposite. They might get, you know, sort of a few eye rolls. But I suppose at this stage, they're looking at just trying to enhance that forward line because I think it changes each game week, obviously. But I think they're currently um, the third worst scorers in the Premier League right now. You know, Sheffield United are the team that are kind of clearly below them in, in that chart and, and their bottom of the table. So it's, it's kind of remarkable that United have actually this many points from the amount of goals that they've scored um, because, you know, Rasmus Hoyland, I think he's done really well in certain ways, but he's not really had the service and maybe in terms of his movement, he hasn't been able to get those chances that you'd hope for. He scored a really good winner against Aston Villa for his first Premier League goal um, the other week, but clearly you'd want more from your striker as a, at Manchester United. So, United are looking at that kind of area. Um, and then also, I mean, listen, if they do end up selling a player that they've put Sancho out on loan, as you say, Donny van der Beek, they've, they've terminated the Regulon thing. So they're all kind of deals that perhaps might help them get a bit more money in terms of the finances for wages, but not necessarily an actual transfer fee. If they did sell somebody, it's tough to say. I mean, Rafael Varane, possibly, just because he's actually out of contract at the end of this season as it stands. Um, United do have an option to trigger, although I don't know the exact parameters of that. 
but yeah, if they do get some money in, then uh, say who Gurisai is, is someone that they've looked at, you know, the Stuttgart striker that's on a bit of a hot streak at the moment. He's got a 17.5 million euro release clause. So I think that's why the appeal is there. You know, it's a, it's a straightforward deal that they'd want to do, but he's 27. He's not really showed this kind of scoring form previously. So again, I think it would be a little bit of a punt to bring him in now, but that's the kind of area they're looking at. You know, maybe there's a couple of other positions that they'd like to strengthen, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't get the sense that they are advanced with anything at the moment. I mean, Adam, it would strike me as bad news for any elite football clubs wanting to make a lot of money because Manchester United are pretty good at overpaying for players. You know, they they pay well over what some initial valuations might be, and I guess some of the some of the um, payback for that for United is that they, they probably isn't much room even if they did have the money to be able to spend it because of FFP and profit and sustainability rules. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, it's really shambolic that United are even close to the FFP limit given that their revenues are, you know, amongst the very highest um, in, in European football. Their commercial income is is in- incredibly resilient, you know, given the lack of success that we've seen on the pitch. And it is because of the excess of the past couple of years that, United are in this position where it's actually now no longer really an issue of funds, but an issue of paying the price of uh, of, of basically wasting money um, on previous signings or overpaying for those signings if you don't think those signings were necessarily a mistake. So, so that's where they are. That's the reality in January that once again they are kind of left scratching around for loans or budget moves. Um, None of which will turn the dial, you know, on their on their season. I think they're far more reliant on players potentially coming back from injury or players suddenly hitting form than whatever they're going to do uh, this month in the window. I mean, the, the only thing I'd say about you know we've spoken a lot about the sporting director, head of recruitment. That stuff kind of happen, needs to happen pretty soon. The smart clubs will already know who they want to be signing in the summer, and they'll be getting ahead on that. And I know Manchester United, sort of the existing regime, if you like, are, you know, they're kind of working on targets in the summer, but are they likely to be the same targets as whoever comes in as sporting director and head of recruitment and whatever? So there, there is a risk there, you know, in terms of that alignment over what Manchester United even want to do in the summer, because the best run clubs will already be getting ahead on that. And United can't afford another another six months of kind of this kind of stasis that you've had for the past 12 months because of the strategic review that the the club has kind of been unable to move forwards because nobody really know what's going on. Even though the opening week of Ineos being on the ground here has been described as sort of softly, softly meet and greet and uh, listen and learn. Um, What what are they learning, David? Well, you tell me. <laughs> we need another inside story from Laurie to uh, establish that. But the um, consensus inside Man United is that there will be changes, uh, whether they like it or not. And a few conversations I've had suggest, you know, you'll start to hear more on on potential sporting director and other possible appointments in sort of early to mid-January. So to Adam's point, I'm sure they will want to get on with it. And there are some reports doing the rounds that Ineos are sort of blocking any permanent transfers in the month of January. They, they don't want to do it, not only maybe because of the financial situation dictating that they can't, but as Laurie points out, that there could be sales and outgoings that make it possible. But if Ineos are just saying, no, 
it's all going to be uh, a summer question, then they need to get their their staff in place so that they can attack that window. There may be notice periods, gardening leaves and, and things like that that delay the process. So uh, in their view, I'm sure it's the sooner the better. Just one thing. I mean, we've spoken a lot about players in. I mean, it's still amazing how bad they are at players out you know, over the last few years. I mean, they, they sell so badly. And, you know, they they went on this little jaunt to Saudi Arabia before the turn of the year, John Murta, Matt Hargreaves. It was too late. They'd missed the boat. Every other club had been out there in the summer. I mean, we saw Todd Bowley. He literally just went out there. I mean, he gets a lot of criticism, right? But he went out there and he sold three or four players. United got there too late. I mean, even, I mean, this was unlucky, but the most valuable player to Saudi Arabia over the past 18 months has been Cristiano Ronaldo. And Saudi Arabia picked him up for free, so they didn't even get a transfer fee out of it. That was unlucky. I think it was less unlucky in the summer, where you had lots of clubs sort of building relationships. Some were more fortunate. You know, you had Steven Gerrard going, so all of a sudden Al Etifak wanted lots of Liverpool players and things like that. So th- there was misfortune involved, but it is this pattern of just United get round to things six months after they need to. And that means they're behind the times. And I, I do wonder how much of that is the personnel that they've got in place. I certainly think there's blame to go around there. But also the ownership of the Glazers. I think that has a big impact in terms of having to relay stuff to them back in Florida, Joel Glazer primarily. And also just, as we've seen with the strategic review, just the amount of time they take on making decisions and kind of drilling down into details and kind of wanting to have a little bit of moment to think about things and then come back. So it'd be interesting to see, obviously, Ineos have only got 25%. They've got the sporting control. Does that really make them the go-to guys on all these kind of decisions? And does that give a speed to it? Because if you've got Ratcliffe and Brailsford actually on the ground in Manchester, it's, it's that's brilliant for United, surely, because you've got owners and, and kind of influential figures there who can make those kind of quick calls that can sense the the mood of the atmosphere at you know, Carrington and I suppose that's one thing to be said for the sort of John Murta regime is that it did become much more Manchester centric than it had done under Ed Woodward and, and Matt Judge who were based down in London making decisions in their Mayfair office. There is a little bit of that at many clubs so I don't know, Liverpool and FSG, although they've had Mike Gordon as the sort of link, uh, which Manchester United haven't uh, mastered anywhere near as well as as Liverpool did. Arsenal have the Cronkies. There was a bit of a distance there, but they've got Tim Lewis who came in, who's kind of UK-based, but on behalf of the Cronkies, he helped them with their takeover and now is a critical figure in the operation. Uh, and Edu, as sporting director there, has a, a direct line too, I suspect. And... Chelsea, for all the criticism that they get, Adam's right on, they've been pretty clinical on the sales. They've had the conversations, made the trips, formed the relationships and got the business done. And uh, many of their fans are criticizing the idea that they might listen to offers for Conor Gallagher in this window. Uh, But if they come in, he's got 18 months left on his contract some tough calls need to be made and it, and it's not impossible to see if the right numbers come in that they they sell again. And it really does help their financial fair play situation. Manchester United had some big calls to make themselves on the likes of Scott McTominay and Harry Maguire. And as with pretty much every situation other than maybe Dan James uh, a few years ago now, they decided to stick rather than twist. And of course, the players uh, and, and the buying or loaning clubs have involvement in this as well. Um, but selling is described as being one of the, the most important, if not the 
most important um, skill within the transfer market and and the financial fair play now called PSR calculation. Uh, Liverpool have done it well. Manchester City have done it increasingly well. And and they're really the model of that sort of slick operation from top to bottom and, and powers of execution on the ground in Manchester. The contrast couldn't be more sharp and and Manchester United have a, a huge amount of work to do to bridge that gap and I think at this point we should probably let them get on with it uh, because time is ticking uh, thank you so much to Adam to David and to Laurie for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure uh, please remember you can rate and review this podcast if you're enjoying it and there's also an offer on at the athletic two dollars or two pounds a month for 12 months so go check that out uh, until next time thank you all for listening You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beale. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great Athletic Football Podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and head to theathletic.com slash footballpod for the very latest subscription offers. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.